Hello, welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Jenny. And Jenny just rocked my world. <laughs> Somebody has been too focused on her other podcast projects to keep up with the basic Buffy news in the world. <laughs> I have not been reading entertainment news in the last couple days. Wow. I had several people text me about it, though, like... Well, nobody's I guess I for me. <laughs> <laughs> my sister and my volleyball friend didn't think to tell you. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm so upset now. I mean, I'm not upset, but like, yeah, the big elephant in the room is that they announced somewhere. I assume this would happen at a Comic-Con, either at, because of Comic-Con or at a panel or something. I didn't bother to read that much into it, that they announced that they're doing a Buffy reboot. Um, Joss Whedon is involved. Ugh. The headlines all say... Um, that it's going to be a diverse cast, and I have read that Buffy herself is going to be black. But which you know is fine. But like I was just telling I, Jenny, okay, one, I'm shocked that Joss Whedon has signed on to a rehash of an original an project. Old idea. Like he already yeah. did a rehash of the Buffy idea once already, and that's how we got this show. And like it's brilliant, right? And right, and right. I'm okay with that. <laughs> but this is now the third time he's redoing this particular story, and it's hard for me to imagine him signing on to just retell the same story. So maybe, maybe, maybe they're taking it in a fun direction, but mostly I feel I mean, like he's just like desperate for work now. And he's I like, feel sure. like that too, but I guess I'm more so it's just, I guess I just, I don't feel much about this mostly just because like, the Disney Marvel world has beaten me down into accepting that, like, everything will be rebooted. It will happen to everything, whether it deserves it or not, whether it merits it or not. Like, I, and there's just no escaping it. And, like, I think pretty much unanimous, not unanimous, but definitely the, the vocal majority that, of responses that I've seen are all the same, which is, dear God, why aren't you doing Frey or any of the other potentially thousands of ideas that come naturally after the end of Buffy the seventh that like the season fin series finale leaves a pretty wide open universe for exploring so it's not so, so much that like it's not as though there's nothing left to tell in the Buffy universe and that people don't people really do want that kind of content I think pretty much nobody in general wants their favorite show that was like a very lightning in a pan you know success like you're not gonna be able to recapture it it'll definitely be worse or it maybe it'll be good but it's never gonna be the same and, like, that's really the thing that makes it, like, a bad candidate for rebooting. Right? So like, people are attached yeah, to no, it. I, and it's going to be I a disappointment somehow or another. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the one thing I'm hoping, maybe, and this happens sometimes, is, like, they announce things and... Yeah. And they, it changes. They give out these press releases yes. with, like, general ideas. So maybe people are like, oh, this person's playing Buffy, but they, by Buffy they mean the main Slayer character, and maybe it's not Buffy. Maybe or they're maybe not calling I'm it Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Maybe this is all early stages, and they'll realize, hey, this is a really dumb idea. Let's take this in a better direction. Like we've mentioned before, they should well, totally do Frey. I guess it's less that I think... It, I, I'm certain that it's going to be called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, oh, because I think, oh. the whole re I think the whole reason that you do a reboot is to capitalize on the familiarity with the name and the property, right? So like, there's no point in rebooting it if you're not going to use that. But, I do but it's so, already I popular do so. and familiar. Nobody needs to reboot it. People are still watching the original. But I guess I'm just saying, I still think what you're saying... I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for this to go right. 
you know, it's like just because the network tells you you have to do one thing doesn't necessarily mean that's always the show that gets made. And yeah, to your point that like this is the first announcement that there's been that there's a lot of time between now and when it actually airs and things always change, you know, so I don't I don't think that the network is going to say or whoever owns it. I don't think they're going to be like, oh, yeah, you're right. You don't need to call it Buffy. But I do think that the showrunner, you know, maybe will have figure out a way, you know, not necessarily around that particular burden, but around the like, how do we make sure that people understand that this is a totally different thing? Or how do we make sure that whatever, you know, I feel like there is still opportunity to do something cool. But I'm not going to hold my breath one way or the other. (laughs) I mean, obviously, I'm going to watch. I like how can I I, like out of (laughs) curiosity, I have to watch at least the first episode. And I think I was telling you right before we started recording, I think if it were any other show, I Rather, if we didn't currently do this podcast, I actually think there's a 50 chance, 50, 50 chance that I wouldn't watch it at all. Because in general, I've gotten pretty good about being like, you know what? I didn't want to watch. Even sometimes I don't watch sequels to things that are just like, if I really liked the first thing, I don't want to risk it. I there's so much content to watch that like I don't need to be exploring every single thing that might be interesting to me. But because we do this podcast and we I think and live and dream about Buffy all the time. And it's going to be really hard for me to not say like, well, what are they doing? Yeah. Did you watch the, well, I don't, did you, okay. I guess it's a two part question. Did you ever watch the Charmed reboot and did you I ever never watch watched, Charmed? No, no and no. So yeah. no. See, so I watched a lot of Charmed and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, I'll definitely watch the Charmed reboot just out of curiosity. I mean, I was really mad they made it, but again, it's like, well, what did they do? I haven't even watched it. So yeah, obviously it didn't matter. Like this just, yeah. you know, I mean, not like I'm a sample size of one proving the, um, the reasons for making things. But my point is like, I thought I cared about it or to the point where I would watch one episode and turns out I didn't. It's entirely possible it hasn't aired yet. And I'm like, that's why I haven't, I haven't, that's why you it haven't seen I, it. <laughs> but I haven't bothered to find out, I guess. I guess it's just, yeah, there's just, there's so many interesting things that you could do a straight reboot where you try and fix the wrongs of Buffy, which kind of feels a little bit like what they're going for is it's like, it'll be Buffy, except it won't have any of the problems that Buffy kind of had when you look at it through a modern lens. But it's like, it's not a very good creative endeavor, I don't think. As no. again, as not nearly as interesting as just making a related show in a, sh- in a show and comic that have left so many opportunities for doing so. It's not as though that story ended with like a really f- final conclusion. Or rather, I mean, it did if you want it to, but it's also really open to interpretation. So whatever. I guess I, uh, there's a part of me that is annoyed that Joss Whedon is involved too. I think if you had asked me like five or eight years ago, I would have been like, I would never watch it if he's not involved. And I now kind of to your point, it feels a little bit like if he's involved, then how different is it really going to be? And then watching somebody rehash their old glory is like one of the more painful things, you know, to do where it's like, I think if you just handed the reins over to someone else, I would be even, I would be a little more interested in it. Unless he's just producing as a name credit yeah, only yeah. in the way that like yeah. those ori- those other people sure Fr- Franz Kazuy's name is yeah, still going like, to be on this project. Yeah, because like they are like we get our names attached because we were involved with the movie, but that's like they, they yeah, didn't like show be. up on set and make decisions. So maybe he's involved in that capacity, but maybe maybe. I so we'll only time out. will tell. Yeah. Well. Um, ah. Yeah. This is why I haven't had pop culture recommendations in forever because nothing yeah, this is, is just the same old, same old. Ugh, 
I keep thinking about Battlestar Galactica too, and being like, man, that's really the model of rebooting. The things that you reboot no. are things that had the seed of a good idea and were poorly executed. Not yes, that, that is the whole point of a reboot love. is to fix something that was terrible the first time. Yeah, yeah. Not to make minor adjustments to the like, well, we'll make it, but it's in 2018, so it's better. You know, like, I, eh, that's not helpful. It's like when they rebooted Spider-Man. It was like, okay, guys, it's a little soon. Like, I know the third <laughs> movie sucked, but like, do we really need to do this? And then they rebooted it again. It's like we've had three Spider-Mans in 10 years. I never watched any past the second um, one of the kind of original ones, but I did hate Tobey Maguire. <laughs> I hate Tobey Maguire. <laughs> I hated him as Spider-Man. I hate him as everything. Ugh. Well, anyway, in, uh, in other news, uh, I had a fairly successful crafting um, endeavor yesterday, so that was fun. You're going to look just like Jenny Slate. No, not Jenny no, Slate. Jenny oh, my Slate. God. <laughs> I guess I could also try and dress as Jenny Slate, but it wouldn't do me much good. It was, who, who was the, Jenny Lewis. <laughs> thank you. There, it was a Jenny. I was yeah. close. I guess just because I'm five and because I'm not going to any comic conventions this year, I'm going to a concert at the end of this week, and I wanted to, I just like wanted to make a shirt that looked like um, this really iconic dress uh, suit that Jenny Lewis wears in her videos and on the last album cover. I don't know why I decided that this was a good idea, but it was fun to make them. So I like tried to airbrush. Um, I tried to recreate the look of like an airbrush dyed t-shirt. Um, so I got some spray bottles and some fabric dye, but it was pretty, it was pretty fun. I hope that they'll last, but I also got to buy plastic sheeting and drape it all over my apartment and made it look pretty suspicious. <laughs> and a few people be like, is Alex okay? <laughs> what are you doing in there? <laughs> It's like the reboot of Dexter, but the gender roles are reversed. <laughs> yeah. But your sister did tell me I had excellent draping skills, so I felt pretty proud. I was like, she knows what she's talking about. Oh, she did? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Claire posted this picture yesterday of, like, these, like, freak shake things, you know, like, where no. they make milkshakes and they put, like, a bunch of crap oh, in them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't know that was what they were yeah. called, but I did see those pictures. Yeah, or as I guess they call them in Massachusetts, freak fraps or frappe. I don't actually know how to say that word. Okay. She posted it, but I spent the entire day yesterday making a chocolate cake. Mm -hmm. So I was like eating all the scraps. So by the time she's like posting this image of like chocolate milkshakes, I was like, I'm going to vomit. Like, yeah. (laughs) I was like, get that out of my face. Like, obviously, I'm in control of my phone. I could have gotten that out of my face. But yeah. um, Because like, I feel like this is my, always my experience with like baking with chocolate is I go from like, this is incredible. Why don't I do this more to like, by the end of the day, like I feel physically ill. Why do I do this? <laughs> what, what is wrong with me? But I made a birthday cake for Harry Potter. <laughs> is it his birthday cake? His like slanted one? Well, cause yeah. Cause okay. it's the July 31st. Uh, oh, I thought According it was to August. the books is Harry Oops, Potter's birthday. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, also, it's the 20th anniversary of the publishing of the first Harry Potter oh. book oh, this year. Interesting. Not like on the 31st Right, of July. right. So I was like, well, I'll do something That's, fun yeah. to mark that occasion because okay. why, why not celebrate those books? But I, I made a chocolate cake based on the book description, not the pink thing that they did in the movie because... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like no, I was looking nonsense. at it and I was like, I understand why they did this in the movie because pink is infinitely more visual than brown mm-hmm. but i'm yeah go with the but it kind of destroys the 
Yeah, I'm not sure I made a sticky chocolate cake as okay. described in the book, but I don't know what a sticky chocolate cake is, so yeah. I just made a chocolate cake. I see. There's too much chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> but I bought, like, sausages, so I'm going to, like, make a skewer of sausages, like Hagrid with <laughs> Harry, and, you know, have some fun with it. Maybe I'll actually photograph things with my wand and get some use <clears throat> out of it. Cause I you can photograph it. things with your wand? No, like put my oh, wand in use your photo. <laughs> yeah, as like a prop. I was like, like, that's weird. <laughs> I bought my wand like two years ago. It's been sitting in my closet. So, you know, obviously useful in the muggle world. I was picturing that it was take it would take photos. If it did, <laughs> it would be way more useful. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's money. such a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, I've exposed okay. the true levels of my nerdiness. So yeah, let's move on. So we'll move on. So this week we watch No Place Like Home for Buffy and Dear Boy for Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me do my best to tell you what happened in No Place Like Home. <laughs> but yeah, but this was a really, I you know, I think obviously this is a really important like episode in this season so far. It was like a big, they kind of have a reveal, a lot of big reveals, a lot of place setting um, for the rest of the season and stuff took place in this one. So it starts with this like flashback to some monks a couple months ago that are performing some sort of, of ritual that, and they're also seemingly about to get killed and they're in some sort of abandoned warehouse as, as, as everyone is always in Buffy. Um, but it kind of cuts to present day Buffy who's, you know, out on patrol slaying a vampire. Um, but she's in kind of the same, like in the parking lot of that abandoned building or something. And so after she kills the vampire, she runs into the security guard. Who's like, Hey, are you, if you're looking for the rave, like it, we close it down get out of here. Um, and she's like, Oh, ha ha. You know, she kind of plays it off, but he then picks up this mysterious kind of glowing orb and is like, Oh, you dropped this. So she obviously takes it because it, she, he thinks it's for a rave. She probably, you know, assumes it's mystical in origin. So she goes ahead and takes that. Um, but meanwhile, you know, Buffy, Buffy is still annoyed with her sister all the time. Buffy's mom is still feeling the effects of her hospitalization. She's still having some headaches. She asks Buffy to get her um, to refill her prescription. That's going to help with that and whatnot. Um, meanwhile, Giles also finally officially opens his magic shop. Um, he wears a ridiculous outfit to do so. And even though business is slow at first, it picks up really quickly Um and Anya shows great strength in uh, working retail, and so he hires her. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, Buffy continues to be concerned about her mom. They don't really, she doesn't really understand what's going on, but while she's in the hospital refilling the prescription, she sees the security guard that she had met the night before, except he's seemingly gone insane. He's like muttering things that don't make any sense, but he does say something to her about how, oh, someone's going to try to get after you through your family. And so that kind of clicks in her head as like, oh, You know, first of all, she knows she saw that guy last night and he was totally fine. So maybe something mystical is happening and something is trying to hurt her mother. You know, some sort of demon or monster or witch or whatever has put some sort of curse on her. So after talking it over with the Scoobies, Buffy decides to perform this like spell ritual type thing that's going to allow her to see like a visual manifestation of um, any magic that's going on. So she does this thing in her home. She has a conversation with her mother while she's sort of in this trance and she can see that nothing is wrong. So she's a little bit disturbed by that. But after her mom walks out of the house, Buffy picks up a photo of her, her mom and Dawn and realizes that Dawn is like her image is kind of like flitting in and out of the picture. And then she runs into Dawn 
and into Don's room, which kind of, you know, has all these visions that kind of indicate that, like, maybe Don isn't supposed to be there. And she says as much to Don, who understandably gets pretty upset. Um, I'll try and wrap this up because this is going on forever. But suffice it to say, Buffy goes back to the abandoned building. She finds one of the one of the only the only surviving monk who tells her just enough to explain that, like, we made Don. She's this mystical key that we're hiding from Glory, who is also in the warehouse and has a pretty terrible fight with Buffy um, and like pretty much kicks Buffy's butt. Um, So Buffy just barely gets this information out of the monk who explains to her just enough about what's going on. Um, But he does also let her know that Dawn doesn't know that she's not real. So that's more or less it. Buffy goes back home and she apologizes to Dawn for what she said, but realizes that now she has to figure out (laughs) what the key is and how to protect it if she wants to protect it, et cetera, et cetera. That was, I hope, everything. Yeah, this is, so this is where Buffy finds out what we already know, basically, which right. is that Dawn well, is new. Yes. And she encounters Glory for the, we all encounter Glory for the oh, first time, who well. is also clearly very, very powerful, or at least very, very strong. And clearly I kind of glossed over deranged. that part, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I really liked this episode. I feel like everything about it was super fun. I think that then it's also, as I said, like it's doing the work of explaining a lot of things that we needed explained. I appreciate that they don't really let the Dawn kind of tease go on super long, I think, in this series, I think, or in this season. You know, I feel like they could have easily milked this for like half a season of being like, oh, and now we find out Dawn isn't real. But I feel like yeah, almost from the get-go, they're pretty much, only only in the first two episodes are they kind of, not being clear, I think. And right ever since then, it's like obvious to the audience that yes, we know and something's going on and we'll tell you soon. Yeah. And even in this episode, they really don't prolong thinking Dawn is the cause of anything or evil. I mean, you know, they do play with that for a minute, but yeah, that scene where Buffy's in the trance and she's talking to her mom and you can see the photo behind Joyce's Mm -hmm. shoulder and Dawn is like flickering in and out. And that's where Buffy notices, oh, like, that might yeah. be the thing. Yeah. It's creepy. And then her interactions with Dawn are intentionally played extremely right. creepy and threatening. But then you get that scene with the monk where, you know, he says maybe the most important words is that, you know, no, she's not energy anymore. She is human. Yeah. And Buffy's like, she's not my sister. And yeah. he's like, she, she doesn't, doesn't know, know that. that. And know. it's oh, it immediately so like, crushing. <laughs> yes, it's. It's so tragic, but also it, it like, takes her from immediately, like... On guard. Buffy goes from thinking interloper threat mm-hmm. to, oh, I do have to protect her because she is truly innocent in, in all of this, and no, none of this is her fault. And to punish Dawn for something she didn't ask for, and, you know, they all have these memories that were built, mm-hmm. isn't, would be incredibly unfair. And, and the burden is once again on Buffy to <laughs> shoulder and bear it. And, yeah. Oh my God, I cried. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, that's, that line in particular also really graded me and I like wrote it down in my notes of like, oh my God, if for some reason, I, I mean, I'm 50, I, I don't care for the monks, per, you know, the monks are not particularly meaningful characters to me, but I thought that guy in that moment, like he really delivers that. He really sells that idea to you, the audience, I think, as much as he's selling it to Buffy of like, she doesn't know and like, how hard is it going to be for her, you know? 
Yeah, and also, I mean, how clever of the monks to decide, okay, we're going to send the king to the slayer (laughs) to protect, but we're going to make sure it's in a form that she will protect with her life. But it's so messed up, too. It's so cruel, and, you know, it's not okay, but it also is, they were Really smart. I mean, Buffy will protect Dawn with her life, and, I mean, it's just so awful, but clever but at the and, same and time. kind of to both of these points i also again i appreciate that they don't let it go on too long that buffy gets fooled by this thing not that it's in, not that they're intending to like fool her exactly but there is like again i guess i just if if buffy believed all of this for a, a while i think i would buy and kind of be questioning like between her and the rest of the scoobies you know this is the sort of stuff that they sniff out so it wouldn't be very believable either to have her not kind of come to this if not i, I totally understand you know obviously she doesn't really know what a key is and she doesn't really know who that woman she just fought with is but i i think it makes sense that she she's been sensing that something was off and it would be disingenuous of the show to let it go on much longer also for buffy's sake you know what i mean yeah but yeah i I have a lot of questions about the monks, but I don't remember how much of it gets explained and how much of it doesn't. So I kind of am hesitant to like bother going into it. But I guess my main question is like, they're, they're just humans, right? Yeah. I don't exactly understand how they know about glory. I think they're just an order of monks tasked with protecting the world from the beast or the abomination or whatever. She doesn't actually get a name in this episode. I think their sole purpose in life was to protect the key. I guess I always kind of hate when they use these sort of like, they feel very uh, convenient. (laughs) This isn't even the first time that there's just like magically, not magically, but, you know, coincidentally some sort of order that has existed for ages to do this one thing. And it's always a little bit like, uh, okay, fine. Well, and (laughs) as we'll find, this isn't the only order that exists to deal with glory. Right, right, right. Yeah, I guess she's been around for a a while. Like, I mean, that's the thing that I always questioned about glory is she's obviously her thing is she's trapped here and she wants to leave, but she's been trapped here for a really long time and this yeah. is the first time this is all coming to a head. Or yeah, maybe it's not I guess that's, the first time it's all yeah, coming to a head. I don't, yeah. I don't totally know. But whatever. Yeah. I guess they um, weren't in California always. So if this has been going on, it'd be going on in another part of the world. Yeah. But we but do see don't. her entrance, which is fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's just mention that her pounding down that door which is basically a wall, and then mm-hmm. standing there in her like red dress and heels, yeah. and her you're designer like, well, gown, is, dress and hip yeah, shoes. This is this is different. <laughs> I really um, like I really like her, and I really liked her in this episode. I thought I did a great job introducing her, and you know, she's just super fun. I think she she she's is a fun so, villain. She's not doing the same thing as the mayor, obviously, but I think she's up there in terms of like how well thought out she is and how fun it is to see someone be maniacal in this like really specific way. Right. Cause she's like constantly saying things to everybody. Like she's gaslighting everyone, but in this way that is just so funny, I guess it was just like the fact that she's like, what did she say? Um, like she tells the guy, the monk that like, you're being so selfish. You're so self-centered. And it's like, clearly she's the self-centered one. And then obviously it goes through, you know, she does the same thing with Buffy when it's like, she's like pounding on Buffy. And then the moment Buffy hits her, she's like, why would you hit someone? That's so like, uh, like, were you born in a barn? And it's like, excuse me. (laughs) That's like so infuriating, but not at all. Like, it's just totally funny. 
I don't know. Yeah. I just really, really like the way that they've chosen to kind of like flesh out her personality quirks. Or just... Yeah, and I also love the nod to like how old she is yeah. and like how old this Order of Monks is because he's like talking to her in whatever, you know, mm-hmm. old language and she's like, excuse me, we're in yeah. the new world now, speak yeah. English. And I love that yeah. because it's like this she, immediately and she speak like... American. <laughs> yeah, it's like this great like line that's funny, I think, but also immediately gives you a sense of the history of this, of like yeah. they've been used to speaking a different language and now they're speaking American. And, and I think just, just that really little joke gives you a whole sense asshole. of history. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. that too. And um, also we clearly see that she's unhinged and that she mm-hmm. may be responsible for the surge in what happened uh, to the... crazy people. Yeah. Right, right. Well, and it's they think they also, yeah, she's... There's a scene where she's torturing the monk and there's another security guard there who also go- meets the same fate as the other guy, except this time we see it happen. So now there's definitely confirmation that like, yes, that guy didn't go crazy overnight by natural causes. Something happened to him and it was her. Yeah. And it explains the connection of that other man in the second episode. Yes. Who saw Dawn, Dawn. and recognizing yeah. her for what she is because it's tied to glory in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, no, but glory, I mean, God, she's just entertaining to watch on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And and clearly from the get-go, a real threat to Buffy. Buffy can't right. even She can't even dent. Yeah. 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 The first time and, Glory hits her, she flings her clear across across the room and then like dents concrete with her. It's like pretty yeah. terrible. I mean, the only reason they get away is because Buffy, I mean, Glory has a little temper tantrum and brings the building down on herself. Right, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. speaking of well, I guess at this point we have to call her the beast. Or I mean, too late. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, we also get more time with Ben, the intern. Yes. We got to see and him again. we don't really get any sense at this point that he's not just introduced as part of the hospital setting and he's dealing with this um, surgeon, the you know, Mm -hmm. mentally affected population. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to call them. Like they're obviously supernaturally affected. And I feel like it's rude to keep saying crazy people, but like, that's clearly how they're presented. So, um, Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll figure out a better way. Yeah. But he has this interaction with Buffy where, you know, she's come to get her mom's pills because Joyce's illness is still continuing. And I had this like, there's no interaction between them. Like, I actually rewound the episode to find out if Buffy mentioned the location of the security guard that she found. Mm-hmm. Um, but she didn't. And then, um, because that, that does kind of tie into, like, maybe why Glory would be able to track the monk down to this warehouse. But we don't really see any clear um, threads of that. And yeah. but, but the interesting thing I noticed of that scene was, do you think that Ben was supposed to be a love interest for yeah. Buffy? Yeah. I was actually just going to say that. Well, no, I don't think he is, but I think that's, he is a love interest for Buffy. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't happened yet, but I think that, um, yeah, I think he's meant to, 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 we're meant to think that that's how he's going to end up. Okay. So that's just, you think that's just misdirection? Yeah, I do. Cause their scene was really like, it laid out like a, you know, we see the, in this episode, the continued, like, not outright deterioration, but things with right, Riley but the, are not great. Right. They're not getting yeah. better. Yeah. And then his, inter- her interaction with Ben is like, it's it like was, kind if, of flirty. Yeah. Right. If I didn't know where this was going, I would assume that Riley's out the door and we're set up to have her date I ben. think you're supposed to assume that. And in fact, they're going to continue to play on that in the 
future episodes. I feel like you're forgetting some important yeah. things that I, again, as are like happy to spoil things that happen in the, in the next season and maybe even at the end of the season, but something that's going to come up soon. I don't want to really talk about, but yeah, he's going to play that role for a bit. And I'm in fact, dis- I've always been disappointed that that isn't his role because I really like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's just this nice hospital intern guy at this point. I briefly mentioned Joyce's illness yes. and we see her suffering still from headaches and mm-hmm. Buffy becomes convinced that it's supernatural because mm-hmm. the doctors can't figure out a cause and this guy on the gurney with Ben speaks to her directly and says they'll come for your family. Right. And so Buffy assumes that there's some supernatural force at work mm-hmm. that's trying to get to her through her mother. Right. As we'll see, sometimes that's not the case. Is just <laughs> yeah. illness. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I guess that's the actual I didn't say that in my summary, but that's one of the conclusions of this episode is that there isn't anything supernatural causing what's going on with Joyce. Buffy can clearly see that when she's in her trance state that like there's nothing Joyce wrong. Joyce looks fine. Yeah. Yeah. Even though and she Joyce realizes is sort of, it's the threat is not Dawn. Right. Like Dawn's right. not some sleeper agent sent right. to kill Joyce. So. Right. Which is a little bit ludicrous of Buffy to think that because wouldn't Dawn have just done it already? Um, I actually don't. I actually thought that was another. I liked that aspect of her of that scene as well is just watching Buffy get. I mean, it's so heartbreaking once we find out what the monk knows. But I think in the moment, it's like, I, I don't know. I appreciate how much Buffy is willing to like, I don't care what my mind is telling me and that you're supposed to be my sister. I know that that's not true and you're a threat. And I don't know. There was just something about it that I, I did buy into it. And I guess, yeah, who, who knows what anybody, you know, the, the demons and monsters of this show have complicated <laughs> plans that they're always trying to orchestrate. So it's not far-fetched to me that they were be trying, somebody could be trying to lay a long-term plan that's yeah okay (laughs) no it's not ludicrous at all it's just um god this i mean this is what makes the whole situation so tragic though yeah is that then i mean buffy says such hurtful things to her sister (laughs) yeah i guess and she really tries hard at the end of the episode to walk them back because yeah and it's if it were true that dawn was a threat the things that she said would be no big deal, but then to find out that Dawn isn't innocent yeah. in all of this and to think of what she said to her and that she physically hurt her, mm-hmm. you know, that's just more on Buffy that she has to deal with. I wonder if that's, this is like, so, you know, yet again, as like, I'm never going to stop defending Dawn. I'm never going to stop just blaming the writers for the things that are bad about her. <laughs> like Dawn has some really bad moments in this episode at the beginning where she just like spilled she says in front of Riley you know something stupid about like well that's why Buffy says that she likes it when he's weak and kittenish and it's like she's not stupid why would she say that and then that she stands there and says like what 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 did I say that was wrong is like it's just because that was a really infuriating moment for me but I appreciate that at least by the end of this you know like I understand now why I feel a lot of sympathy for Dawn and it's because I can imagine your older sister saying something like that to you and how just like how much that would wreck you and how much she's so mad in that final scene when Buffy apologizes to her. And she's like clearly throwing up these defenses of like, well, I imagine sometimes that you're the one that is adopted and you're not part of this family and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, God, I just, I guess I'm just saying that this, this episode had some really bad Dawn writing at the beginning, but they pulled it together by the end to, I think really position her in a nice way. Yeah, and I agree with you that the Dawn writing is 
frustrating because it makes her insufferable in some way. But I wonder, and this is what I think I'm going to tell myself to make it more palatable. I I think I know what you're going to say. Is that if she's new, like if she's technically a new human, maybe that explains why she's, as Willow says, she's a spaz. So she's still getting used to this, like not on some conscious level, but subconsciously her energy is like not used to functioning in this human body. And so maybe that's why she, you know, (laughs) is knocking things over. Uh, I think there's actually even better reason which is that she was created by some middle-aged monks that don't know any teenage girls. So it's actually oh. <laughs> a really weird meta-commentary, perhaps on the writers of Buffy, being that when you have older men trying to write a 14-year-old girl, perhaps they do think that she's actually seven, and then this is kind of the personality <laughs> that they gave her. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> Another thing that happens in this episode that I left out is that we uh, Spike sees Buffy for the first time since his sort of realization about his feelings for her. And this is, I think, one of the more iconic scenes between Buffy and Spike. Loved it just as much as I thought I did. <laughs> Your hair is stupid. Yeah, I love it when he insults her hair. <laughs> I love that he said that because in the last one, he's talking about her shampoo Exactly, hair. exactly. He loves her hair so much. That's like definitely a big draw for him. Um, but this is also, so like Buffy runs out to go... Um, She's trying to, after she figures out what's going on and that Dawn isn't real, she's like going to the warehouse. But as she leaves her house, she runs into Spike outside of her house. And she, of course, is like, what the hell are you doing here? Assumes he's up to no good. He claims that he's just on a walk. But then she can see that he's like clearly been, first of all, he was hiding behind a tree when she found him. So like he wasn't walking anywhere. She didn't run into him on the sidewalk. She ran into him in the front yard. Um, And that, but then he's also left a pile of um, cigarettes, you know, on the ground. So it's like, clearly he's been there for some time. Um, but anyway, but it just, mostly it's just great because it brings us that classic interaction where she asks him to explain himself in five words or less. <laughs> um, is this also the first walk. time she calls him William? It's the second time, but I only know that because I was reading it on a wiki. Apparently okay. she does it three times, but the first time was when in something blue when they were getting married and she asked him if he wanted William on the invitations. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's just kind of out of the blue. It like is she weird. always calls him Spike, and then in this episode, she's like, what do you want, William? So that's a little bit interesting. It is. I feel like they're trying to make that something, and I don't think it fits in this episode. Yeah. Should have saved that for down the line. It, it, yeah, because it, it does make it seem like Buffy's starting to like yeah. bend her feelings a little bit, and she's so yeah. clearly not, as we'll see in a few episodes, but... Also in this episode, the big development is Giles opens his magic shop. Oh, of course. And it's a huge success. <laughs> and he ends up hiring Anya yes. to work there because she shows an instinct for business. Yes. But my question oh. is because Anya's complaining about how she's almost out of money. Yeah, where did she get money where in the first place? Where did she get money? <laughs> no idea. Some sort of lingering aspect of her spell, I suppose. It must have been because... She hasn't worked. Yeah, I don't and know. She has her own apartment, clearly. She's mentioned yeah. it. Yeah. And she doesn't live with Xander, so. She bought a gun, so. Right. You know. These are the little things that bug me. Like, I want to know the answer. I know. I um, did really enjoy Anya in this episode. I think more so than I have in most of her episodes. Or most of, since she's kind of been in the background, this was like a really good time. This is a really good moment for her. This is the side of her that I really like seeing, which is like, I guess it's that she's more involved in the action that makes this more fun for me. Because it's like when she's kind of just quipping at people in the background, it's like, 
it's fine and she's funny, but I feel like this was much better when it's like she's actually doing something. Yeah, well, Anya in the magic box is my favorite Anya. Yes, yes. But also, just that she's casually telling Buffy, hey, you know, there's this spell that this old guy right, has to do. Right, right. And like, you should try this. Like, And that it's no big deal. She just hands Buffy an idea of how to maybe find out yeah. what's going on. And it's not as a result of her being evil. Mm-hmm. Buffy and Riley continue to be awkward. She, when she's performing her spell, she like invites him over to be involved in it, but he can see right through her plan, which is like, you're just trying to make me feel useful. <laughs> but I did actually like, I mean, only because I know it's not going to last much longer, but I liked seeing kind of the return to form of Riley being the emotionally mature one in this relationship because I really thought his, um, you know, he's explaining to Buffy, like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to, like, pander to me. But also maybe we should think about how you don't have to think about protecting me, but we should think about how we're going to take care of each other. And I thought that was, like, a really constructive thought that he had that I wish would come true. (laughs) Yeah, because otherwise their interactions are just so, like, they're going through the motions at this and point. And just because she really is treating him now like a small animal that needs to be protected rather than an ally or somebody that can offer her anything, I think that is, like, again, he's, like, really kind of getting to the core of the problem, which is that, like, she doesn't think he can do anything for her. But, like, maybe he can't protect her from vampires anymore, but he can protect her from other things, you know, and like, as we're going to see, you know, she's going to need a lot of emotional support and throughout this season. And like, that is something that he could offer her. And I think it is something that he would be willing to do if only she weren't flinging him out the door. Yeah. I mean, to be slightly fair to Buffy, Riley mm-hmm. did just have heart surgery. So true, it's true, not true, true. reasonable that she would be expecting him to sort of not rejoin her immediately on the battlefield, but... I guess it's more so that she... You know, the thing that Dawn does reveal is that, like, Buffy is sort of enjoying him in this state, maybe? Enjoying, like, protecting the one that's more powerful or something? Yeah, and Dawn's quoting Buffy in a not-so-flattering comment, but I think the idea is Buffy's also saying she's enjoying having to take care of Riley. Right. She just doesn't say it like that. I guess, though, I... Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying that I think Riley would prefer that they were equals and not that she thinks he's something that he needs to be put, you know, taken care of. No, right. As we talked about last time, that's not something that would sit well with Riley. He mm-hmm. doesn't want to be second. He wants to be, if not number Equal one, at least tied first, for yeah. number one. Yeah. Yeah. But all in all, I liked this episode. Mm-hmm. It was like a lot of fun. Like I said, like the magic shops up and running. That was fun. Anya's finding a place in the group and in the show. I like that. Dawn, uh, you know, despite her misstep in the beginning of the episode, has some like really great um, emotional stuff in this episode that I enjoyed. And mostly it was just a great, we finally get to meet Glory and we finally get to see um, Buffy kind of figure out what's going on. And I, it was good. Well done. Bravo. Bravo. Okay. Well, are you ready to talk about Dear Boy? (laughs) Yes. I have less positive feelings about this episode. <laughs> I have. Okay. I realized we'll some things watching this one. So. Yeah. Well. Okay. Tell me what Mostly, happened. <laughs> this is the episode where Angel truly comes to realize what's been happening with him. He's been having these dreams. He's been sleeping a lot. Um, it's been affecting his performance at work and his attitude and his relationship with his friends and coworkers. And. In this episode, he actually sees Darla walking around in the real world. Mm -hmm. Like, he knows he's not asleep. He knows it's not a dream. And 
he starts to realize something's going on. So nobody really believes him, but, you know, he's convinced that this is her. So he, um, the team is involved in a case trying to catch like a, um, a woman cheating on her husband. And he sees Darla at this hotel Mm -hmm. in the middle of the day. He confronts her and she's like, Hey, whoa, dude, I don't know who Darla is. My name is this other thing. Mm -hmm. I forget. And, you know, she's obviously human, but because she like runs out in the daytime, but Mm -hmm. she's pretending that she doesn't know anything about Angel. So Angel follows her and he gets tricked into entering this apartment that she set up so that she can frame him for murdering her husband. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't see the quotes that I'm using. (laughs) And so the cops arrived and she who must not be named a sees um, yeah. Angel in this compromising position of having uh, supposedly attacked Darla's husband. He escapes from the cops and then he kidnaps this woman mm-hmm. and takes her down into this old convent to try to confront her and get her to admit that she's in fact Darla. Mm-hmm. And through a bunch of mind games that they play with each other, he does eventually get her to admit that she was the creature that Wolfram and Hart brought back in mm-hmm. the box at the end of last season. And she's human, but she's still very much into Angel mm-hmm. and very much evil. And, you know, he tries to tell her, okay, so you're playing this game with Wolfram and Hart to try to break me down, turn me evil, whatever it is that their their plan is. But he's warning her, hey, you're human now, so all this stuff that you're doing mm-hmm. is going to catch up with you eventually and you're going to start to feel regret for the things that you've done. Whether she believes him or not is unclear. She leaves and they're both set up to deal with this another day (laughs) yeah (laughs) and angel basically at the end of the episode has decided that if wolfram and hart wants to play with him he's ready Mm -hmm. so that's basically it yeah i think what i i i mean we have even said this before but what this episode really drilled uh home for me is that i just don't like darla I think she is a a likable character. It's not even that, though. I don't like the way Julie Benz plays her. I really think she is this weird depiction of what somebody's idea of seductive is, but it's not mine, and I don't like it. And I don't feel like she and Angel have a good good spark that they're clearly meant to have. Um, She's just always... I I think I'm, I'm... I didn't feel strongly about her up until this point because I think kind of used in, you know, the way that she's used in Buffy as like when they do flashbacks and we need to know more about Angel's past. I don't mind that. Uh, I never liked her particularly in them, but it's like fine. You know, it's fine to me when it was used that way. And now that they're trying to draw something bigger out of it, I just don't I just don't like her. I don't buy her and Angel's relationship and connection that they're supposed to have. So I think there's like something about the way she's either being directed or the way that she's acting. That is just like, it makes this storyline feel fake to me. No, I think you're right. I think it's more obvious now than it is sometimes in the flashbacks that Mm -hmm. a lot of this storyline hinges on Angel being attracted to Darla in spite of himself. And her being really but their their lack of chemistry is kind of a problem and they really don't have chemistry together I don't the think two they actors. do yeah and you know there's no 
like the scene where um, they're kissing underground and she's trying to, you know, convince him to be bad. And like, it's supposed to, it seems like it's It's supposed to be be a real threat, like erotic or like, you know, sexy or Mm -hmm. something. And it's just not. And yeah, you know, maybe it would work better if the actors had better chemistry. I don't know. I don't, I'm not necessarily. Yeah. I don't know who exactly putting the blame on. (laughs) Julie yeah, Benz, Julie exactly. Benz, because I do, I it's actually more than do that. think her portrayal is just the idea of someone who is purely evil and mm-hmm. has no problem weaponizing her sexuality sure. in an evil way. But I think it doesn't work because her intended target is like a block of wood. So like, but then you know, there's like the fact that I think also like at least in Buffy and maybe in my real life, you know, I've sort of internalized that like the way, you know, you like someone is because you have some sort of spark and there's banter. And I think especially in Buffy, in the Buffy universe, like the way we see people flirt is often through maybe not antagonistic conversation, but like quips and flirty, you know? And so it's like, I get that there's, they're not being flirty and quippy isn't Darla's thing, but that it just like really then stands in contrast to like, we've seen Angel, banter with Cordelia and maybe we've seen him banter with Buffy. So the fact that he completely lacks that with Darla, like really signals to me that like, what then what? (laughs) I mean, I don't think that David Boreanaz and Sarah Michelle Gellar also have that much chemistry. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it didn't really matter because they were trying to play it as this like melodramatic relationship. Right. But you know, I mean, compare Spike and Drusilla to Angel I was just and Darla. thinking that. Yeah. I was like, I've always, I buy their relationship 100% and I like watching it. And I would believe it if, if and when <laughs> Drusilla comes back to seduce Spike. Like, I would buy that he is tempted. Speaking of Drusilla, mm-hmm. though, um, we do get some flashbacks in this episode where Angel is taunting Drusilla. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of played, I think, more... One, for shock of the yeah. like truly heinous things that they did to her, but also to show you this moment where, you know, Angel says to Darla, am I learning? Right. And Darla has this moment uh, on her face where you can see that she has this, like, she's, she's a little horrified. And yeah, she's appreciative and ex- like happy to like have this partner in crime as it were. But mm-hmm. she also has this look on her face of like, she's realizing the monster that, Angelus has the capacity to be, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit shocking to her. Yeah, or she's jealous of Drew. It's I think it's all a of those. Of both. Yeah, yeah. But you know, and and then Angel. I think that the one thing that does work for me in this episode is we see all of this context in the flashbacks, and then we see what he says to her at the end, where you know she's I, telling him all all he needs is one moment of happiness and he's telling her you never made me happy. Yeah, I did like that. <laughs> and he's not wrong. I mean like it's hurtful to her but it's ridiculous that she would ever think that as that could be an evil as vampire happiness. he had the yeah. ability to be happy. And like even what she's considering happiness mm-hmm. probably wasn't. Mm-hmm. Because as he's saying like happiness requires well the angels thoughts on this and I suppose this the show's stance is that happiness requires a soul. Right. But but yeah. that's the thing that doesn't quite square is like their interaction, their chemistry levels, Angel's supposed repulsion at her at the end. Yeah. And he's like running upstairs to have like sexy dreams all the time. And it's like kind of hard to buy that he would be that into it if he truly felt 
this way about her. Yeah, and I guess that's another thing that I didn't, that I don't like about the setup of this, is that I get it to some extent, and I understand him being secretive about this for a while. I feel like it's clear to him at this point that something is going on besides just him having fantasies. And I also think that by this point, Cordelia and Wesley really should have stepped in and said like, something is wrong with you, whether or not, whether you're depressed and that's why you're sleeping all the time or because something is, somebody is trying to make something happen to you. I I just think it's so weird that like we spent that whole season getting, you know, like we've talked so much about how happy we are about the three of them as a team together and to kind of just watch them all ignore obvious signs of some kind of problem is just like super frustrating to me. And that like, I get that Angel isn't ever going to be the one to be so, so open immediately. He has learned how to open up a little bit to his closest allies and friends. So I just like, it's baffling to me that he hasn't said anything to them at all about like, he doesn't say anything until he actually sees her in person. I just don't think that that would be true. Yeah, it or really that irritates me that they're so not willing stepping to make in. Excuses yeah. for his behavior to gun and you know, and its behavior that they probably wouldn't tolerate themselves. It's it's all a little bit frustrating because it's so clearly played out this way for the sake of story. Yeah, but and for a story then that I don't like. <laughs> but well, I would get over that if it were better told. Yeah, yeah. It, I think for me, it's more frustrating in that, like you're saying they're straining credulity here because of everything that we've built up with what we know about these characters. And now they're just throwing it all out the window in the service of the story. And then bringing Kate back to do so was really just the nail in the coffin for Ah. me. I'm like, okay, I already was annoyed at this episode that we have Kate being completely moronic. She's such an idiot to be all the things that she said. She's so clearly has a narrative in her head and is, is working towards that. But like, at this point in season two, that does nothing for me, the viewer, in this story. Like, I I don't need to watch her do that because it brings nothing to the overall story to me other than throw a wrench in activities. But it was, like, so frustrating to watch her repeatedly talk about how Angel stormed through a door to a household and not click that, like, hey, he couldn't have done that if Darla owned that home. So you're wrong. Like, she was so wrong from so early on in this interaction that it was just, like, I can't handle it. Because what is that accomplishing for this episode's plot or for the season's plot? It seemed to be nothing. (laughs) And it's so, her behavior is so annoying. And also that, you know, in one scene, she's chastising her friend for not reaching out or for trying to distance himself from her. But then at the same time, she's acting like a robot on a, like, one-track mission. Yeah, exactly. To, like, take down a man who's, like, clearly not a threat. And she was so, like, you know, she's, I feel like in her first introduction we were meant to think she's competent so it's like again yeah that she's been shoved to the side because she's always looking after supernatural things she doesn't even need to be going after supernatural things because she's doing such a bad job at detecting now you know like i don't know i just didn't need her there i didn't enjoy watching her i i don't know i just like she was just there to be rude to gun to make me annoyed at her and uncomfortable with her behavior and it's just like okay and now what nothing yeah, the, the first thing I saw in the post-opening credits thing was... Yeah, as soon as I saw her Elizabeth name. Rome, and I just <laughs> yelled, no! Like, yeah. it was involuntary. I couldn't... I thought Same. we were done with Kate. Me I too. I mean, I'm still... Now I just feel like she's this, like, looming threat to me. Like, was this the last time? I don't know. <laughs> um, let's talk yeah. about some things that I did like. Uh, okay. Number one, Lauren, obviously. Um, he's great. 
I didn't Always. like watching Angel do karaoke to that song. It was incredibly painful, but painful in a fun, entertaining way, not painful in a I want to tear my eyeballs out because Kate's so silly way. Um, but I like I like kind of getting to see him be a little bit. I don't know. I guess it's like he kind of refuses to help Angel because he knows that the things Angel's trying to do, he shouldn't do. And I thought that was like a nice, not you know, again, that's not like a reveal, but it's always nice as we're getting to know new characters kind of to just find more about them. And I thought, find out more about them. And I thought that was like a fun, not fun, but I, I liked it. I liked seeing it. Um, I did also like when um, <laughs> Angel and Darla were fighting and having this, like, you know, they're revealing what's going on and blah, 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 blah. And then, like, Angel says something about how they killed that guy in the house. And Darla says, please, he was an actor. <laughs> I was like, okay, I will give her credit for that one funny line. <laughs> also, rip that guy. Poor guy. Yeah. He was annoying. He was annoying, but he didn't deserve that. He's no. an out-of-work actor in L.A. He's just trying to make a buck. Um, but yeah, but I liked those things. I, I, I'm not exactly sure where they're going with the Cordelia and Wesley bickering all the time, but I don't hate it. Right. I don't know. And I liked Gunn getting, I like watching Gunn get more and more, um, included in this group because now it makes sense that they wouldn't have told him about Angelus before. Right. Cause that's like, you don't reveal that on the first date with someone, you know, like that's the kind of information that you like, if he's not going to stick around, he doesn't really need to know. But, um, I like seeing that him, he's becoming more, you know, they confide in him and trust him to tell him these kinds of things. And I appreciate him also understanding right away that like, great, I will be loyal to angel forever. But as soon as he's in jealous, I will kill him in two seconds. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I just, I like gun. Which is generally the party line of everybody. Um, I do like Cordelia and Wesley's united front against Kate. Yes, yes. she's clearly being ridiculous. And she's like, oh, you guys are just going to go down with him. And they're both like fold their arms. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I like the use of the word daguerreotype <laughs> for no real reason. I just think that's a fun word. And it was a thing that I, um, uh, I've met, I've talked about this a couple times before too, some daguerreotype is a word that I first heard in Spanish because it was in some sort of some novel or other that I was reading and I I was so confused about it because I kept looking up the word in Spanish is just like daguerreotipo or something like very very similar and I like looked up like oh what does that mean and it just said daguerreotype and I was like I feel like I've gone in a small circle here that really didn't clear anything up for me in terms of like what this thing is um so it was like a really long time before I really understood it so now whenever I see them and I'm like oh I know what that is I feel really proud of myself anyway just yeah you know Speaking of the daguerreotype, another really nice touch that I liked in this episode is that, of course, nobody can confirm or corroborate Angel's claim that this woman is Darla because Mm. none of them have ever seen Darla before. Like, when she came to Sunnydale, Cordelia didn't interact with Mm -hmm. her. And, you know, she dies pretty early in the show's run. So nobody really has any basis to say, oh, Angel, you're right, that is her. Because Angel's the only one who would know her face. And I actually thought that was a nice touch because if Cordelia had been like, oh, yeah, she does look familiar, that would have obviously been impossible for her to say. Yeah. And I I like the show not overtly calling that out, but Mm -hmm. like it's a frustration that nobody believes him, but it's also completely logical. Yeah, of course they can't corroborate his his statement that this woman is Darla until Wesley does his research and finds the image of right. her. Um, I did appreciate also though angels. Um, Cause this it, it did feel a little bit like one of those times when people don't believe Buffy and she's clearly right. Um, 
Uh, although I guess even we had even more evidence that we, we know definitively that Angel is right about what's going on. Um, nevertheless, I thought, um, you know, they're kind of like, well, she's dead. You killed her. But he was like, hey, I came back from the dead. So, like, it's possible that she has done the same thing. I thought that was also interesting. Kind of like, yeah, Wesley, you can't be so un- disbelieving of this po- the possibility of this situation because you know that Angel was also killed once. Yeah. I mean, they, they really should learn to embrace all possibilities at this point, mm-hmm. right? Shoot, there was another important thing that we forgot. Um, oh, that this, or maybe you actually did say this and I was, um, and I've forgotten, but that this episode revealed that Darla is human. Yes. Not I a vampire. That, okay. Sorry. Correct that, yeah. Right. You did say it because they were talking about it in their confrontation, but I guess I just mean that we've also seen that like, you know, Angel, Angel watched Darla step into the sunlight, um, pretty much confirming that before she, before their showdown. I yeah. guess I don't really know what to make of that. I know it's going to play out. I don't remember the details of how it does, but um, do you, I guess... Oh, I do. I guess my question is, did they intend to bring her back as a human, or did they just try and bring her back and that was how she came back? Did they make that choice? Did Wolfram and Hart make that choice? I don't think they ever really say. Okay. And I think it helps them that she did come back as human because it's obviously easier to maintain this facade that she's just... You know, a woman who looks so, similar, yeah, yeah. random woman, yeah. But if she's like out in the sunlight and all of that, um, until Darla, of course, gives it away. But mm-hmm. if she comes back as a vampire, then it's a little bit harder for them to, I think, even trick Angel because he can't have these moments of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what drives him a little bit mad is the uncertainty of like he's. He knows that what he sees is real, but he also knows that he did kill her, so... Mm-hmm. And that this woman runs out into the daylight. So, like, that little kernel of uncertainty, I think, is the thing that really torments him. Yeah. Until she, until she fully Admits confesses. Admits it, yeah. But, yeah, but I think that's part of the game, okay. is that he can't really be sure. And it gives them plausibility to deny that, you know, she's Darla. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if they were in control of how she came back. I think it's interesting that she came back as human but with all her vampire memories and yeah. her her instincts and her drive to kill because as we've learned, right. the the rules that have been set up in this universe are broken all the time <laughs> and as I didn't realize a soul was something you had to let, you know, mature and catch up with you. Right. So <laughs> Her, because a- with Angel, it seems to happen immediately. Yeah. So yeah. His assertion that she's going to start regretting the things that she's done is it's a little weird. True, but yeah. it's weird that it hasn't happened yet because she was brought back months ago. And she's been a w- yeah. I was just gonna say she's been there for a while. I uh, I think you're. Well, I don't know if you were alluding to Darla not staying human, but that that is a thing. So, um, I guess spoilers. Spoilers. Um. <laughs> I like that Cordelia was still using her little axe yeah. or maybe it wasn't the same one, but that's like her weapon of choice. I support that. I guess Cordelia just goes into battle now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Which, yeah. I- I'm into, but we never really see her training. So <laughs> she gets on the okay. in real world training alley. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I did also kind of enjoy the weird little subplot of like, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, Angel Investigations is like hurting for business right now because Angel isn't out finding things himself and Cordelia hasn't had a vision in a while, but then they do kind of entertain this like kind of standard PI 
situation where a man comes in claiming that his wife is getting abducted by aliens. Of course, she's just saying that to him so that she can cheat on him. You mentioned it because it's when Angel finds Darla in the hotel, but it was also kind of a, I thought that was like a, it was just an interesting little background, background subplot. I like subplot. that she tells the, the guy that she's meeting with that, you know, she just felt like an abduction was coming <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I guess I just like, like when they admit that like Angel Investigations is never going to be super profitable and that they've like sunk all this money into a mortgage. So they're hurting even more than they normally do. <laughs> I guess their little finance friend didn't help them out that much, so. Or he's the only reason that they've, like, been afloat. Yeah. What, what do we have on deck? Family for Buffy. I'm excited. I think that's the name of the episode, mm-hmm. at least. That's going to be a Tara episode, a Tara-focused episode, right? With Amy Adams! With Amy Adams. Um, and the next episode for Angel is called Guys Will Be Guys, but guys spelled like Disguise. Disguise. Don't know what that's about. Do you have any pop culture for us this week? Um, I don't have something new, but I did finally finish the book that I started a few weeks ago um, called The Fifth Season, and I maintain my recommendation for it. I really, really ended up liking it. and I, um, It's the first book in a trilogy, so I just started the second book called The Obelisk Gate. Um, that's what it's called? Yeah. But it's... I... I just think it was like a really, it's been a long time since I've read something that I've been excited about. I think I probably have said that before too. Like I've kind of disliked a few things that I've picked up and, or I've read things and thought they were like fine, but it's not, you know, and it's like, it's just the best feeling when like reading really sparks the joy and excitement in you. And so it was nice to experience that, but it was also just like, it's just a really cool book. The like, I don't read a ton of fantasy books but I just thought the writer did such a good job at setting up a world that like you dive in and you, it's clear that this is like a, you know, it's an alternate earth. So you like some things make sense right away, but it's also clear that like there's, you know, things exist in this fiction that don't exist in the real world. So like kind of having to kind of piece together, like what the rules of this universe are was like a really, she was just, I just thought she did such a good job writing it that it was really fun. Like it was fun to flip the page and, every like 20 pages or so have like a little bit more clarity into what was going on. It wasn't frustrating. It was like exciting to be like, Oh, that was what had happened a few pages ago or, Oh, that's how these things work. And like, there is a glossary in the back to kind of explain some of it, but I, you didn't really need it. If you didn't want to, you know, you would get the, you would get the gist of it eventually. And I just thought that was like, so cool. Um, I like when people can establish a really clear world and build it out successfully. And then I that the story itself was pretty cool and interesting, and I just I just really liked it. I like her writing. N.K. Jemison is the author. Yeah, world building is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. I think. I think it's yeah. So I doubled you know down when you my read recommendation. Stuff and you're like, why is this happening? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still I still definitely am interested in reading mm-hmm. that on your recommendation. It's definitely pretty um, dark. It's not like a, oh, and then at the end they, like, save the day. Um, or, I mean, it's also the first book in a trilogy, so I don't know how the trilogy ends. But it was definitely, like, also part of the things that are revealed is kind of how dark and tragic some of the goings-on are. But, again, in a way that was very satisfying mm-hmm. to be like, oh, that's why these people behave this way. Or that's why somebody made this choice, because there's all this backstory that you're getting to know slowly. Okay. But, yeah, but not, like, an uplifting thing. So if you're... Just think that's nice to know before you pick up a book. (laughs) Yes, especially these days, I feel like I don't, I'm not generally in search of depressing material Mm -hmm. to read or watch because I could just 
read the news if yeah. I wanted to. Yeah. Um, do you have any recommendations? No, I uh, I have not really been reading or watching anything these days for, uh, well, not I don't want to say not for fun, but not for like, just because. Yeah, you've been doing Henry like, VIII research. Yeah, You're going to I, grad, I podcast you, grad school. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like if you want recommendations on <laughs> books to read about Henry VIII, I could tell you that, but I don't think those are things people want. Uh-uh. So, um, so I'll skip that. Okay. Um, but instead, I think I will go ahead and pick my team. Oh, this week. okay. Um, yeah, I think I'm team Buffy. Yeah. How about you? I guess I'll be team Dawn. I just feel like Buffy... She really is carrying a heavy burden. <laughs> she is carrying a heavy burden this week. You know, she's trying to do whatever she can to figure out what yeah. could be happening to her mom. She discovers this horrible thing, and then she has to come home and pretend like nothing happened. Yeah. And I'm team Dom because she is innocent and has been put in a situation that she doesn't even know about yet. No wonder she's Poor so Dawn. angsty. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I will... Talk to you next week on uh, family and guys. We'll, we'll be, be guys. guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.